you try to follow me back <laughs> when I get situated. All right, today also, uh, after we finish the sermon part, we will do Lord's Supper if you're here or in the parking lot at home, you may do that. And I promise you, when we get back together as a full church with everything to it, we're going to have Lord's Supper on that Sunday as the body of Christ anyway, uh, even if it doesn't fit our quarterly pattern as, as we do ours as Baptists with our Sunday school quarterlies. Do y'all remember that years ago? Anyway. Today we begin a new series. Uh, we talked about all the high hams of Jesus, did great with all those, and they're all uh, there for you to learn and to read. Today we're going to look at the chaos we create. Now, I don't know about you, but do you ever create chaos within your own life? We do. You know, as I was working on a series of sermons and things to uh, trying to get this all together, it was in December, I guess, and, and even first part of January before we left in February, I, uh, I had this down as, okay, this is what we'll do, and lo and behold, I don't think it's a coincidence that as I began all this work before COVID-19 hit, uh, during this period, our lives now has been in confusion. God knew that we needed to hear some of the things in this, the chaos that we're going through. Uh, even more so, uh, now our lives are in confusion more than usual. So we live in an unstable world built on shifting sand, and if you don't believe it, just listen to the news for about five minutes and then turn it off. Uh, it's possible to develop the qualities of a character that will contribute to the life of stability, and that's what it's all about. Even when chaos is all around, believers can learn to live a life that is immovable and solid and will get them through no matter what the world does around us. Now, I don't like the chaos uh, involved in my life, but it happens. The feeling that the real purpose of my life is being put on hold while I do this or do that or make these changes, not to mention the fact that we have time to go through that box of old pictures and things, that all the honey-do lists. I'm a little sore. If you see me wiping my eye today, I got something in my eye from yesterday, whether it was working in the shop, putting the gutter guards on, or doing more work around afterwards. So if I blink a little bit, it's not, and I'm winking at you, it's that I'm paying for it because I didn't put safety glasses on. Yeah, I know, okay. Chaos. The other part of that is all those old boxes of pictures and stuff we went through, uh, it's impossible to resist the temptation to stop and dwell on the memories and all what life once was like. Well, what we tend to forget is we always remember the good things and not the bad things that went on in our high school days or our, our pre-married life before kids or when we first got married, all those kinds of things, and it's like, whoa, all those experiences we have experienced is what brings us to where we are today. You know, uh, when we begin to look at that, this, this, series, this sermon series really developed, uh, and it's talking about being an immovable as our character, being the kind of Christian who is so solidly planted in your emotional, your spiritual uh, life, your purpose in life, that, you, that no amount of chaos will shake you up. David writes it this way in Psalm 62 when he says, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Uh, we may get rattled at times, and we absolutely do. The ground may move beneath our feet and cause us to take an extra step to catch our balance. But when God is our rock and our fortress, we will not be greatly shaken. If you want your life to be immovable and solid and unshakable, build your life upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Let him be your rock and fortress. And that's what all this whole series is about. We're going to look at different areas of chaos that we encounter. Today we're going to consider how the, the, the chaos that we create ourselves. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Psalm 51. We're going to use part of those, a bunch of Proverbs today. 
uh, and we're also going to look at Second Samuel. Uh, so if you, can, you don't have to find every verse, but if you want to, if you're a guy, a person wants to follow around, it'll be on the screen here in a little bit. It will be there as well, uh, so you can do that uh, as we go along. Um, as I think about it today, the chaos we create for yourselves, even my own life, my own experience has been turbulent. And when I look at when the most turbulent and shaking times that happen in my life come, when it's shaken, rattled, and rolled, as we used to say in the old days, uh, it's been the result of decisions I've made. You ever do that? You ever make decisions? Sometimes they're decisions based on the lack of wisdom. Sometimes they're based on foolish willfulness and stubbornness. Uh, there's a technical term for some of those things. We call it sin. That's how for it is for most of us. Most of the time, but not always, the chaos in our lives is produced by our choices, by the consequences of the actions we have taken. Uh, you know, I saw a post on a blog or Facebook or somewhere a while back when we've been doing all these things. It simply said this, everything happens for a reason, dot, dot, dot. Sometimes that reason is you make bad decisions. Ouch. Ever feel like that? When our lives become chaotic, when we must own up to our own role in the chaos we've created, if we don't, our life will never get better. Own your own stuff, as I like to tell people in our counseling office. Let's look at a person in the Bible today who had his life was created full of chaos. He created in a giant way. And we're going to look at King David. If you've already flipped to Psalms 51, you think, oh my gosh, it's a Psalm by David the king. Now, this is the same person that's described by God as a man after God's own heart. This is the same person who took down Goliath with a sling and stood before him as a little boy and said, how dare you defile the kings of the living God? You are defiling the armies of a living God. Who do you think is the king of kings? That same man who established Jerusalem as the capital, who led Israel victoriously in battle, who wrote most of the books that we call Psalms, who, who wrote and shared and did many wonderful things, including the psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, that we all know. The chaos in his life begins in various times, but this chaos we're going to look at today begin on a, from a warm Sunday, Sunday afternoon, after lunch, he had taken his lunch, he got up to take a walk on the roof of his house. Now, we think it's kind of weird in our day because we have pointed roofs in, in the Middle East or they're, they're flat roofs and a lot of them had gardens on their roofs. Uh, it was cooler on the roof. In fact, they slept on the roof at night in the, in the super heat and it was cool. It was just one of the things. And so uh, they would walk on the roof and so while he's hanging out walking around the roof through the garden top, on his roof, the palace, he sees this beautiful woman off in the distance sunbathing. Now, her name was Bathsheba. Uh, she was another man's wife, back wife of one of his soldiers, Uriah. He sent for her. He seduced her. Her husband's in battle at the time. It's where David should have been, by the way. We'll get to that in a little bit. A few weeks after their encounter, Bathsheba informs David that she's now pregnant. So David tries to cover his sin by calling back Uriah from the battlefront. Has him, hey, go home, spend some time with your wife, tell me about the battle, go, go take it easy. Uriah protested, slept at the gate of the palace and said, I will not go and eat. I will not go home to my wife. I will not go lie with my wife. I will not take those comforts of life while my unit is in battle where we should be. He didn't go home. David even tried to get him drunk the next night. If you read the scripture and see all that. So one after another, this is David, the man after God's own heart, devious, adulterer, we're going to see a murderer here next. 
Because what he does next is he, he takes Uriah and he says, okay, here, I've got a letter for you. You take it to Joab up the army at the front of the lines. And on the letter, he'd given the instructions uh, to Joab. The, the commander says, put Uriah in the front with other soldiers at the most fierce part of the battle when they're shooting over the, the wall and pull back, withdraw. Well, you do that, they're going to, that's it for them. There's no protection, there's no nothing. And that's exactly what happened. Uriah and several, many soldiers were killed as Joab followed that command. And now, Bathsheba's a widow. At the proper time, David marries her. And a few months later, their son is born. Now, David thought he had gotten away with it. Uh, he would soon find out differently. And in 2 Samuel 12, I think, this is 2 Samuel 11 with all this. 2 Samuel 12 is when Nathan shows up. So here's a this leads to the confrontation with the prophet Nathan, and Nathan tells him a story and basically says, you're the man that did these things. And so it led to a lot of soul searching and repentance on David's part, and now he writes Psalm 51. That's the background of all that. Psalms 51 contains some of the most poignant and personal words in Scripture. So we're going to look at those verses today with this in mind, how to correct the self-inflicted chaos. Now, if you remember the rest of the story, the baby didn't survive. The baby died after seven days. And they're afraid to tell David. And the good thing with that is you get to the part there that David says, I can't go to, he can't come to me, but I will go to him someday. So David has a hope and an understanding that when babies die, they can be there with the Lord where he will be. Interesting. You always want to find those things that say, ha. Ah, help you out a little bit, maybe some questions you have in your brain sometimes. So how do we correct this self-inflicted chaos? Now you may be saying, hey, Brother Glenn, my sins aren't as bad as we count sins. Maybe not, but sin is sin and sin in the eyes of God. But you can be sure of this, all of us have invited chaos into our lives at one time or another by being stubborn, by being sinful, by being willful disobedience. All of us sin. And fall short of the glory of God. When we play games with sin, we're bound to lose. It never fails. There's only one thing sin can do, and that's wreak havoc in your life. Solomon says in Proverbs 11:5, "The wicked falls by his own wickedness." Sin brings about its own punishment. When we've all heard people say, "God's going to get you for that," well, the fact is, God doesn't have to get you for that. Sin's going to get you for that. That's really the, the truth of the matter. For when we sin, inevitably it leads to chaos in our life. And if you want your chaotic life to become less chaotic, here are three things you've got to do. First, confront the cause. Confront the cause. Ask yourself, who created this mess that I'm in? What did I do to contribute to the mess? Where did I go wrong? The temptation is to place the blame for our problems everywhere else. Somebody else did it. It was their fault. If that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have done this. If you hadn't made that choice, you would not have forced me to do this choice. I hear it every week, and I even use those excuses sometimes, right? We all do. It's not my fault I lost my temper. You provoked me. It's not my fault I committed sexual sin. She tempted me. It's not my fault that I got fired for insubordination. My boss is an idiot. On and on and on and on. We, we, we have all those things, whatever yours are. When you and I refuse to acknowledge our role in the chaos, that only ensures that the chaos will continue because nothing will ever change if we don't change it. The cause of chaos in your sinful disobedience, you need to acknowledge it, 
You need to confess it. You need to repent it. Here's what David says in Psalms 51. So if you've got your Bible there, you can watch along. Psalms 51 will be on the screen, 1 and 2. Remember, he's writing this after he has committed adultery. He's murdered Uriah. He's lied. He's done all these things. He's lost the death of his son with Bathsheba. Nathan confronts him as he basically says, a man that stole that lamb ought to die. And David said, your life won't be required, but there will be a consequence. We can read that in 12. Here's what he writes. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. And then the verses 3 and 4, he says, For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and be blameless in your judgment. You know, you and I can't find order in life until you're ready to give up on your own responsibility and take the, it was mine, own it up to yourself in everything you're dealing with. The good news is that when you own it up, when you own, own up to it, when you bring it to God and confess it, the Bible says that he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You may still have the mess to deal with. There are consequences of our sin. But now you can deal with it through the power of his help. You know, we've been doing a lot of outside work and different things the last couple of days and around. It's been hot. And, you know, for years I jumped around and jumped off trucks with bales of hay and didn't take care of my G's and did stupid stuff that I thought I could, was younger than I was. You know, now I pay for that. So we worked hard in the shop out there in concrete, and all of a sudden my knees were aching. I forgot, I've only been out here an hour or two on concrete. That does not work with knees bone on bone. And it's sitting on the side of a hill doing those things. Last night, my knees were going. <coughs> That's a consequence of dumb choices I made when I was younger. Now, people said, oh, don't do that. You'll regret it when you get old. Yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I tell my boys the same thing, just like you probably try to do too. You know, we get one body, guys, take care of it. If you can understand those consequences in your physical body, how about the consequences in your spiritual and emotional and the other parts of your life when you deal with people? There's some sins that God, God forgives our sins when we trust him, but some, the consequences of some of our sins cannot be erased. But you're forgiven. And you may say, Okay, Glenn, my life's like a roller coaster right now, but it's not the result of willful disobedience. It's because of the choices that I shouldn't have made, choices that turned out to be not so smart. I wasn't trying to do something wrong. It just happened. In fact, I was trying to do right. I just made a bad choice. You know, people say, I took the wrong job. I hired the wrong person. I made the wrong investment, on and on and on. The process for dealing with whatever kind of chaos you're facing in your life is the same. You confront the chaos. You acknowledge your role and all that's going on around you. You admit your sinful behavior and the questionable decisions. That's the first step towards creating a less chaotic life. And here's the second step. Not only do you admit those things or the chaotic, you correct the course. Now correct the course. Besides asking, where did I go wrong? You need to ask, what could I have done differently? What should I do now as we correct the course? When things begin to get heated, the misunderstanding begins to escalate. Maybe you could have stopped and, and started listening. Maybe you could have asked for a short break 
and walked away from the argument so you'd have time to bridle your temper and to calm down before you said the things that you can't take back. Maybe you're not dealing with a major conflict in an important relationship. You're just going to stick your head in the sand and hope it goes away. You have to correct the course where you are. You see, when David uh, had this encounter with Bathsheba, he shouldn't have been at home in the first place. He should have been on battlefield with his army. Here's 2 Samuel 11, 1, as I told you. Here's the first verse of that. In the spring of the, of the year, when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they ravaged the Amorites and besieged Rabbah. And David remained at Jerusalem. Okay, that's just kind of informational. Well, it is kind of informational, but there's loaded with a bunch of stuff we need to know. David should have been on the battlefront. In those days, the kings went to battle. They stood and watched over their troops. They gave them encouragement. Where's David? Hanging out on the rooftop, getting in trouble while his soldiers are out fighting. Where should he have been? At the battlefront. As a military leader, David should have been with his troops, but that's not where he was. He was at home living in luxury and girl watching. When David first saw Bathsheba from a distance, you know, he could have turned away. That could have been a choice he could have made. He could have called one of his wives, and I need to use the wives in plural, by the way. Uh, we know at least the, we know eight of his wives by name in the Bible, if you want to check it out. Um, he said, hey, come spend some time with me. He didn't. He should have turned away, but he didn't. And there were consequences of that choice. If you want to minimize the chaos in your life, develop a strategy in advance in dealing with temptation. You need to develop a strategy in advance to make tough choices and difficult decisions. Decide before how you're going to handle that situation. You may not know what comes about, but, you know, what you do. Uh, you know, right now, with COVID-19 stuff in the house, any of you guys eating anymore? Anybody else eating much more food at home? Yeah, none of you raise your hand. I don't blame you. I will. Uh, we make uh, ginger snap cookies. Couldn't think what they are. Uh, it's kind of nice. They're nice. Just a little something. They're not very many points Weight Watcher-wise. The problem is if I leave them on the counter in the Ziploc bag, guess what happens? Uh, every time I get up to go do something, walk by, grab it. One of my ways of dealing with that temptation is to put it in the cabinet. And even when I'm really tempted, I said, Jane, bring me one cookie, not any more. Because if I go get, she said, go get it yourself, I'll go get three. It is what it is. It's a little funny. We can laugh at that. But it's the same principle in everything we do. Sometimes we have to have our partner help us. We're going to get to that even later here. Sometimes we have to have one watch over us and hold us accountable. We'll hear about that in a few moments. So what chaos are you doing? Decide how you're going to handle it. You remember if you watch football, I think we'll get to watch football again, maybe baseball, hockey, I don't know. But you know when a football team faces 12 or third and 12, the coach doesn't scratch his head and say, ah, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? He has a game plan. He has an idea of what comes next, what they're going to try to do. Whether it works out or not, we don't know. But he has a possibility for every plan of action beforehand. We need to do the same. If you know you're going to have a, a discussion or fight with your spouse every time they do X, Y, Z, put a plan in place 
next time when we start down this path, I'm going to do this to respond instead of react. If you have a history of making rash decisions that come back to haunt you, put a plan in place. A salesperson comes up to you, yeah, I'll sign on the dotted line. I'll think about it for three days or two days, and I'll call you back. If you feel pressure to make a decision, take those steps. Protect yourself. The older you get, the more you ought to know about yourself. If your past keeps creating chaos in your life, it's time to correct your course. So what could I have done differently if that comes up again? What should I do next time? If you think it through and follow through, you'll find these chaotic situations don't come up nearly as often in your life. Here's the third step. I encourage each one of you not only to confront the cause, correct the course, but this is this, the third one. Create accountability. Now David, after David had committed adultery and murder, the prophet Nathan came and admonished him. That's 2 Samuel 12, if you want to read about it. And he told him the Lord was going to deal with his sin, and he did. That what he did in private with Bathsheba, his son would do on the rooftop with his concubines. And you read on later, Absalom did that in front of the entire city and nation of Israel while David was running and hiding. Nathan didn't just walk off the street and stick his finger in the king's face and say, hey. You see, he was a court prophet. He already had a relationship with David. David knew he was a man of God. David trusted him. David listened to his counsel at other times. David already had credibility. Nathan already had credibility. They both knew each other and trusted each other. God used a man that David trusted to confront him with his sin. He's confronting the king who just says, off with your head and it's done. It's a different world in which we live. Even though you may want to think we're like that, we aren't. It is what it is in those days. So one thing that David did right during this entire debacle was he was willing to listen to godly counsel from Nathan. Now Nathan's words got the attention of David about the lamb who, you know, this rich lamb, this rich owner had all these sheep and lamb. The other one had a little lamb that he'd feed, eat off his plate and cup. It really is kind of a cool thing there. And this guy comes and says, I need a lamb. I'm going to steal that lamb, take that lamb from the one that had none, or had the one, and takes it away. And David's outraged why anybody would take something so precious, and there was only one of them. And Nathan points and says, you're the man. Nathan's words got the attention, and David began to process repentance in his heart. As you begin to read that passage. Each one of us here today needs an accountability partner in the areas in our life. Someone that can speak the truth into our life we most need to hear. So how do you choose your accountability partner? It could be your wife, could be your husband, could be a close friend. I think you're multiple, in my opinion, you're multiple type accountability partners. So how do you decide who have the freedom to call you out on the carpet when you need it? Here are three things to look for. Want to know how to find one? You want to choose a person with integrity, someone who has their own life in order, someone who knows the difference between those who offer wise counsel and those who merely meddle. There are people who want to be accountability partner because they just want in on the stuff to pass it along. If their own life is a, is a mess, they're probably not in any shape to help you straighten out yours. Choose an accountability partner who 
someone from someone who walks the talk. Secondly, choose a person who's committed to you. A person who cares more about your holiness than your happiness. Someone who has the courage to say this. What I'm going to tell you is probably not going to make you very happy, but you ask me to be truthful with you. You're my friend. But it will help you become more like Jesus. You need to whatever. Proverbs 27, 6 simply says this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of the enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Think about that. When you need someone who has the courage to say what may be difficult and painful to hear, you need to hear their words. They're said because of their friendship and their loyalty. You know, one of the key things about leadership and learning is, is what voices to listen to. You always hear the squeaky wheel, and I hear every squeaky wheel. But there are voices of all around. And when somebody, there are some people that tell me stuff and gripe and complain, and I just smile and, and pray for them and go, because that's their life. If they don't live in chaos, they're not happy. And there are others when they say, oh, by the way, I didn't, you did, whoa. I step back and say, this person cares about me, this person loves me, this person, whoa, I better hear. You know, I messed up on this situation, God, and I go to them and try to work those things out. So we all find those things. Let someone come in who's committed to you. Here's the third thing. Choose a person who's equally accountable to you. Well, it should be on the screen coming up here, I think. But anyway, what it simply is this. A person who respects your opinion and your perspective as you respect theirs. Proverbs 12, 17 says it this way. Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. You see, it's a reciprocal relationship. This is not a person who says from a distance, this is what you need to do. It's a person who's committed to you, who will walk the walk with you, who will be willing to stay by you, who will be able to care for you, who will be able to put their arm around you. Well, not maybe not now, but anyway, it will be there for you no matter what is going on. It's a buddy that helps you overcome your addiction when you're going through withdrawal. The one that's there when your wife or husband walks out. The one that's there when your family member, parent or child or someone dies. The one that's there to hold space and to be present and to care by being there. Just being what God wants them to be at that time and space person that says, let's find God's wisdom on this matter, put his principles into practice, get back on track. Yeah, those people are kind of rare to find. They're few and far between, but just like God sent Nathan to David, he will send someone in your life if you're willing and you're ready to find an accountability partner. Now, notice today a lot of the verses didn't just come from Psalms. A lot of them came out of Proverbs. Uh, Just as an aside here, Many of the verses of Proverbs were written by Solomon. King Solomon later on, we call him King Solomon as he became king. The Bible says he was the wisest man who ever lived. Um, Do you remember who his parents were? You may not know. It was David and Bathsheba. So after David had taken her in as his wife, God blessed them with Solomon. 
even after David had messed up his life in a big time and was able, God was able to restore order from the chaos as he sought the forgiveness and restoration, he married Bathsheba and he gave them Solomon, a son destined for greatness. It didn't change the seriousness, nor did it change the consequences of David's sin. The death of the child, his son uh, running him off the kingdom as Absalom became king for a little while. All those crazy things that went on in his family, all those things happened because of the choices he made. But it does tell us that God can take the most out-of-controlled situation, the most chaotic thing in your life, in my life, and bring it to peace and stability. Even when we think, where are you, God, in the midst of all this? Even in the middle of the most chaotic moments we live in this pandemic, and in our world, and in our government, and things that are going on in our life today, God can redeem the situation. His mercy is big. His grace is that strong. He won't live the, we don't have to live the rest of our lives in a perpetual state of pandemonium, guys. We can overcome the chaos, even the chaos we've created ourselves, when we confront the cause, we confront it head on, when we correct the course, we do that by asking the question. When we create accountability by listening to the right people, we will experience through the power of God a restoration of stability and peace in our life. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for our time together this morning as we prepare our hearts here in a moment for the Lord's Supper. May you encourage us, strengthen, and guide us. Bless those that are watching today, those that are in the parking lot, those that are here at church, those that will see and hear these things literally later on. May your word go forth. May their lives be touched. May they be changed. May they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.